I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Get a spell away? Now Charlie. Charlie. Welcome to Suplexes and Cervezas with Chavo Guerrero Jr. I'm your host. Chavo Guerrero Jr. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in on the podcast. I appreciate you all being here. I'm now sitting in my living room and looking out the window and wishing I was on that golf course. But there's always tomorrow, right? Anyways, I'm very, very happy to have my next guest on the podcast, a guy that I have known for quite a long time and definitely a big fan of his wrestling style and his behind-the-scenes dealings. Tommy's one of the ECW originals and a guy that really made that company what it was, along with others, of course. But Tommy was definitely very instrumental in it. Tommy's one tough SOB, even though you'd really never know it because he's just such a nice guy. He's just a guy that um, is very hard to get rattled. I don't think I've ever seen him rattled. After wrestling in front of Madison Square Garden in front of 25, 30,000 people, he'll just come right back like it's nothing. And I don't think his heart rate gets over 80, 85 beats. <laughs> we talk about a lot, and not just in the wrestling ring, but out of the wrestling ring. Tommy's love for food, which we all do, but he takes it to the next level for sure, as you will listen. And talk about a lot of things about ECW that I had no clue of, of how they started and just how instrumental he was in getting ECW to the heights that it achieved. So coming up next on Suplexes and Cervezas is my friend, Tommy Dreamer. Please don't forget to subscribe uh, and hit the like button. That way we can keep bringing you bigger and better guests and keep us on the air. So next is my friend, ECW original hardcore legend, Tommy Dreamer. Hey everybody, my boy, my buddy, my good friend, a uh, guy that I respect a lot that's, uh, uh, that I'm really happy to be with me on this podcast here, uh, the Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> What's up, brother? How are you? It's uh, good to see you. The pandemic is, uh, we've, a lot of us haven't seen each other in a long time, but I love Zoom meetings like this because literally you catch up in a second, you get to see people. So thanks for having me on the podcast. You know what? That's what I say about to a lot of people is that, I like doing this. I mean, sure, it's cool. It's fun. But really, I like catching up with my friends. Yeah, It's really just catching up with friends and stuff that we don't get to do very often. And do I miss wrestling? Yeah, sure. You always miss wrestling and being in the ring. But I miss hanging out with the boys. I miss that, you know? No, they nobody- say um, for basketball players or there's Molly Holly gave me a really good book about military people when they come back from the military it's they miss that camaraderie of the soldiers and basketball players. They did like this survey of once they retire, it's like 80% get divorced. And it's like, just because it's like, we're young 
And now all of a sudden we're not playing the game. And a lot of these sports, it's not like us where we could go out and do indies or go other places with them. Once their career is over, your career is over. You try to find other things to do. I feel that's the biggest part. And the NFL has a thing that tries to adapt players into the real world Uh, with us. We can never be normal. Um, And you're, you think about it. I was like, I was with you at one point um, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday when we're Absolutely. doing ECW we're and we're literally wrestling every single night. That's right. And then all of a sudden, you know, hey, Tommy Dreamer leaves. Hey, Chavo Guerrero leaves or hey, Chavo goes to Raw. That's the hardest part of the business where you're with these people all the time. And then they just like disappear, get fired, or just move to another company. The good thing is once if you're real friends like us, once you're there, you're you're back and having fun the moment you reconnect. Yeah, that and that's when we're talking about right now that I'm gonna be doing um Gallo's show coming up, coming up here, Luke Gallows. <clears throat> and uh he called me and goes, Hey, you wanna do the show? And I'm like, Do you want to do I have to wrestle? <laughs> He's like, Well, yeah, and I say, Okay, yeah, I still like to wrestle, don't get me wrong, but I really like hanging out with the boys. And I looked at the card, I said, Oh, there's a lot of the guys on there. All right, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun, you know. And, but even that, even if we do a show that that you don't really know anybody on the show, and you're like the headliner, you like the star, it's still a lot of fun, you know, getting around guys like that, and you know they're asking for your advice, and afterwards we'll take Absolutely. you out to eat and have a beer, you know. It's actually it's, it's actually a good time. I've had like a lot of my best times being in some little rinky-dink town with people like I don't know sometimes. In the world of COVID, I mean, I have for the last three years before COVID, I was wrestling 200 shows a year. And I'm still, huh? I never thought I could be normal. And then after like once COVID hit and like I've been home, I was like, wait, I actually like being home. I, I don't have to worry about, you know, making the next town or this gig because there's no gigs. It's like you had to adapt. And I was like, because honestly, I mean, just like you, you grew up in this business. I, I was 18 when I started and it's, you know, I'm, still that active and i was just like no wait i maybe i could be a normal human being (laughs) maybe don't ask your wife but (laughs) maybe you know uh it's funny what i love doing about these two is that as much as i know you and you know we've been around the world together i don't know like your story you know i don't really i know little bits and pieces but right like when were you a fan growing up oh dude i was the biggest fan from the moment i saw it i was hooked me and my dad were big uh, sports people, mm-hmm. and the first time I saw it was the Rangers versus the Canadians. The game was snowed out, and they showed wrestling from Madison Square Garden, and it was the first person I ever heard was Vince McMahon, and he announced um, it was welcome to uh, Madison Square Garden, and it was Bulldog Bob Brower versus... Bob Backlund. Mm. And I remember just like freaking out being glued, like kind of like the kid to the poltergeist uh, ad where you're just like frozen watching the TV. And then uh, I was hooked. My dad, you know, he started talking to me about it. I couldn't get enough of it. But back then wrestling only aired here on one channel and it was at midnight and for nine o'clock for a nine year old kid or eight year old kid can't stay up that late. It's hard. And where'd you grow up? New York. Wow, Yonkers, that, New York. That was their, 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 
location. That's where the, the yep. hub was. So I can't believe that it was only on at midnight. Yeah, no. And it was on after for your listeners, uh, racing from Yonkers was the show from 11 to 12 and then big 12, ratings. huge ratings, <laughs> 12 to, um, one was WWF. And then, uh, right after that was chiller theater where a hand dissolved into like a bloody hand dissolved into the quicksand. Anyway, long story short, my father takes me for my ninth birthday to go to the Westchester County center. Uh, to see wrestling and Bob Backlund, who is my idol. Um, I made a sign on like two pieces of loose leaf because I was uh, not the most artistic. And I wrote Bob Backlund number one, but like I couldn't fit it on the thing. So I had to like scotch tape the sign together. And uh, I remember he wrestled Bobby Duncan in defended the title. I remember when he slapped my hand, I turned to my best friend at the time. And like, I thought I had a superpower, man. And the building, I was, he wins with the worst finisher ever, the atomic spine crusher. Um, And then he's like going back to the ring. I mean, to the locker room. And I was like, Bob, can you sign this for me? He's like, I'll get you later, kid. Wait for me. And I'm like, okay. So now the building is like trying to get me out. And I'm like, no, no, Bob Backlund said he's going to sign this for me. And like, you got to stand, I'm hook, line, and sinker for the last three months. And now, like, I see my favorite wrestler at the time. So then the security guard is just like, hey, man, um, you got to go. The wrestlers leave right from there. So you could go wait out there. So gives up the boys where we where we would leave. And you've wrestled in the county center. So it's that back building by the parking lot. And I'm waiting there. And it was like me which I'm later guessing were some lady friends for the boys. <laughs> there was only about two of them and like two sounds, sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> only two <laughs> and like maybe two weirdo fans. Like back then there wasn't like autograph. Like, I mean, there was autograph seekers or just like two hanger honors, whatever they were. It was sleeting out. This is in February. And for some reason, I didn't want Bob Backlund to see me with my dad. So I was like, dad, go in the car. Just wait. And so my father's like parking right in front. And here comes Arnold Skolan. He comes walking. And like it was like that like awesome moment. He signed my first ever wrestler autograph, which I still have on a program. And he goes, gets the Cadillac Eldorado. Uh, and now it was like that. Which was the crown Vic of all like the the be end all be all of cars for wrestlers back then. Yeah, and uh, this you know years later, that's Arnold Skolan's town. I never knew all this, but uh, so then it was like to date myself the Mean Joe Green commercial, or for wrestling fans the Bret Hart commercial. Here comes my hero, and he's got the satin jacket on. He's got the towel around his neck, and they're literally you know he's not. Bob wasn't a guy to play around with the girl. So he's not going to hang out with my two new lady friends. And he's, and I'm like, Hey Bob, I'm the only kid there. And I'm like, Hey Bob, can you sign this for me? And he's like, okay, okay. Like, and he's like kind of blowing up. I was like, Hey Bob, can you sign this for me? And I'll never forget one. And he was just like, I'll get you next time, kid. And he got in the car and he drove away. I'll get you next time. (laughs) And I was devastated, dude. And I remember getting in the car and I didn't want my father to see that I was crying. And, uh, we drove home and I hated Bob Backlund. I hated wrestling. Uh, I 
could care less about it. Before all wrestling, I wanted to be like a New York Yankee because they won the back-to-back World Series in the 70s. And then I went, uh, we had a condo in Florida. And my father took me, he was like, hey, just in the paper, he was like, hey, you just want to go see wrestling show? And we saw Florida Championship Wrestling. And dude, when I, and I've told this before, uh, Ivan Koloff and Dick Murdoch go to the ring. And, you know, Dick Murdoch apparently had turned uh, to a Russian turncoat. And I was just like, I remember turning and the lights kind of go out and there was like a spotlight with, I could see all these gnats flying around. And here came Bugsy McGraw with like a broom handle. And here came Dusty Rhodes with a garbage can. And it was like he floated to the ring and his hair, like with that spotlight and the gnats, I thought I was watching God. And he, I don't remember the finish, but I was frozen, dude. And I've never been frozen. And he won, they won. And as soon as the match was over, I remember just turning and I bought my first ever eight by 10, which is a uh, bloody dusty roads pitcher. I bought a Barry Windham, the kid is hot tonight t-shirt. And then I was obsessed, hooked, and have never looked back. And in the ride home, I told my father, this was 1980, 1980 or 81. Okay. And I literally just turned to my father. I was, I was 10 years old and I said, I'm going to do this. This is what I have to do in my life. And I have to get Bob Backlund back. <laughs> the scene from Cape Fear and you're like doing push-ups and Bob Backlund and you got these tattoos on your back and your hair's all long and you're ready just to, you're going to get them. I'm Dude, honestly, uh, you, I've been a baby face into, into wrestling to kill Bob Backlund. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a baby face my whole career. I think it's because even though I know I would be a good heel, but I remember how like that felt like right. I never forgot that. And crazy kayfabe Tommy Dreamer in the sense of I have to be a heel. I can't sign your autograph. But uh, long story after that, I, I, I'm my first ever tryout with the WWE Bob Backlund's the first wrestler I meet with Arnold Skolin at the county center. And I'm just like, hello. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to try to, like, be a Finally. dick. So <laughs> then I met him one other time in ECW, which is a whole other story because we wound up throwing him out of the building. Oh, I love that. And you're like, let me do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was nuts. Long story short, his manager is a buddy of mine. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Hey man, you want to like get together with Bob Backlund? And we went to a pizzeria by my house and it was almost 30 years to the day. And I tell him the story and he starts apologizing. And I was like, Bob, I lived your life. I was like, you can't sign for everybody. I was like, you could have signed for me because, and I told like, he didn't remember. I was like, but I know you had to make the town. You probably had to drive to Hamburg or whatever the hell you had to go. And uh, probably five days later, I get an envelope and Bob Backlund, I open it up and Bob Backlund gives me an autograph. says to my number one fan, uh, Tommy Dreamer, uh, Bob Backlund, WWF champions, that picture of him holding up. The t- so I squashed all our heat and now we're actually pretty good friends. 30 years later, it took you 30 that's that's a great story. I don't know how you remember that detail because uh, I'm crazy. All the concussions you've had. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, who trained you? How did you get into the business? So uh, you're a fan, and now you're like, this is it. I'm, you're bouncing in clubs. I remember you were a bouncer. Yep. 
and you're like, you know what? That's it. I'm going to be a wrestler. What I want to do this. You know, well, you, you know this, but you don't know this. Like the business was so tight lipped back then. Yeah. You couldn't get in. You couldn't find a, a, a place. Right. And I went and then there was a newspaper article and it said, for all you want to be tough guys, bodybuilders, bouncers, uh, come and try out. And it was a picture with Captain Lou Albano. And so I go and you have to, it was supposed to be like a contest to be in, a, in his movie of a story of his life. So I cut my best Hulk Hogan promo. Uh, and I also ripped my yellow tank top that I was wearing like Hulk Hogan. I also was probably 195 pounds. Jeff. I actually, you speak, yeah, you're in good shape. I, I was, but I was thin, like thin muscle okay. then. Cause I went from being heavy to, to thin to muscular thin. Like, dude, there was a point where I would like try weight gainers, all that stuff to, uh, you know, current blobby Tommy Dreamer, but um, <laughs> I, I do this tryout and like, I like, this is why, like, I always, I tolerate wrestling fans. Like when I see people like lose their patience, cause I just remember how I was. And I remember like, I see captain Lobano, this is my chance. And he's like, Oh kid, you cut a good promo. I don't even know what a promo is. Right. But like, it was like why I wanted to be in this movie. And it was, I mean, I did my best Hulk Hogan. And then uh, he goes, you cut a great promo. I go, excuse me, uh, Mr. Or I think it said Mr. Captain Lou or Sir Captain Lou Albano. <laughs> um, uh, your honor. <laughs> I really want to be a professional wrestler. I don't know how. And I know you're like a manager of many champions. Can you manage me or like guide me? And he goes, okay, kid, you see that guy over there? Uh, go talk to him. And it was my trainer, WWE Hall of Famer, Johnny Rods. And my dad's good friend of my uh, dad's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Java and Luke, a lot of other names, but yeah. <clears throat> he uh, he trained me and I literally was, I mean, he trained me right. He was in the ring. I think about what he did for me and for others. He was probably my age now and he would not get out of that ring. And his prize students were Damien Demento and he would wrestle him for one hour, just straight, never get out of the ring. And we would just sit and watch. And then he would get in with Bill DeMott really? and wrestle Bill for like 40 minutes. Then he'd wrestle Taz for about 30. And then he'd wrestle me for about 15 minutes. And he was just like always in the ring and teaching right. us. And he trained a lot of, people that made it in the business oh yeah man he's he has a long list matt yeah. striker big Cass, devon uh big veto right a little bit of bubba he 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 helped train a lot of guys that yeah did make it he was wow. and he wasn't like one of those old timers where he would shoot on you to hurt you right like i remember if you got up wrong he would lay on you or if you got up with your fingers out, he'd step on your fingers, fingers yeah. and he would be like, if you get hurt, you can't work. You won't get hurt. If you get up, right. If you get up wrong, you're going to get hurt and like put us in holds. And he'd be like, fight your way out of it. Like, and like he'd lay on you, but if he, you knew how to get out, he would release it and then hook you into another one. Okay. And then get out of that. Cause you know, the business was so different. Guys would 
try to test your shoot shoot on you. Absolutely. It was a different time, Absolutely. different different era. Absolutely. But you know, that's how they they tested you and yep. protected the integrity of the business. What when I was growing up and me working in the same thing, they were very jealous of this business. Like this business was theirs. They weren't going to give it to anybody. You had to earn it a little bit. You have to earn Absolutely. it. You had, you had, they had to show them that you were tough enough and you weren't going to do like, I'm going to try this wrestling thing. I tried it for six months. Oh, you know what? I got to go. Oh, I'm going to go back to being a bouncer or whatever. They didn't yep. want that. Like now they've given you these secrets of pro wrestling of how to, how the inner workings work and you're going to now just exploit it. They didn't give that to everybody. And I, if for your listeners too, this is coming from a guy who your grandfather probably is on the Mount Rushmore of Mexican wrestling. And your father is one of the all time greats and you're having to earn that respect and all that stuff. It's not just like, Oh, oh yeah. here, you know, get right in there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. It was, we didn't, we weren't even allowed Eddie and I, we had a wrestling ring in our backyard and we were not allowed to pro wrestle in it. We did on the side, but we were not, we were amateur wrestling. They're like amateur, amateur, right. amateur. And we're like, like, but, but we want to do backflips and shit, you know? And they're like, nope, like get on the, get on the mat, learn how to mat wrestle. And yeah. that's what we had to do. It was a you different know, business. Our, yeah. Of course he and I would always take off the top rope when they weren't looking and pretend that we <laughs> second rope was our, cause we were small, you know, that, that was our top rope, you know, then we'd all, we were always in the ring at all times, you know, but um, that was, that was it. Like we weren't allowed to really bump or do any of that stuff. And then, you know, then we started bumping. It was one of my grandfather's old rings. So it was like from the 19, like 40s or whatever. So it was super hard. Oh my God. When I'd fall, I'd like, oh my God, like my, my insides are being ripped out. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So we stopped that. From my trainer, dude, uh, I got in the ring. He, for, for two, the first two days, I'm in Gleason's gym in Brooklyn, New York. And I literally sat in this hot gym and he's just like, watch for two days. I would want to get in the ring, everything. And then he's like, all right, I'll see you next week. And I'm like, I gave him $3,000, all the money at the time in my life. And I was just like, okay, the next week, uh, watch for the first day, second ring. Hey, do you know how to referee? And I was just like, I watch wrestling. I know how to be a referee. And he's also telling the boys like, you know, if he's in your way, knock him over all that right. stuff. But now he's teaching me to be in the ring. And then he's like, come back next week. And then the next week I referee for two weeks. And I'm like, I know, like I gave you the, this guy, like almost I'm here a month and I know nothing. Right. And then he's like, okay, take a bump. And I'm like, what's a bump. He's like, fall down. <laughs> you know, you've been in this ring. I told you to watch. And then I took my first bump. And I remember, you know, you too, you remember your head hurting, your body hurting. And now he's like, so you watched all this time and you don't know how to do this. And I was just like, I guess not. And he's like, well, now I have to teach you. And then it was, you know, and he, and I would say it too, when I would help people, it's, you have to literally crawl before you can walk, walk before you can run, run before you could fly. And that same expression a hundred times. <laughs> I'm serious. But, and I love him for it because I mean, I've had a lot of injuries, but I've never really missed time. I've never had a surgery. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. Being in this business as long as you have and done the stuff that you've done. You weren't, it's not like you were like this part-time wrestler and you wrestled on right. the weekends. You wrestled straight for like, what are you, what, what is this, your 30th year, 28th 31, year? 31, yeah, 31. 31 years. You've wrestled straight. Except Since I'm pandemic. 20. Yeah. 
without having a, a an injury. I mean, a, a serious injury, like a surgery injury. We're always hurt. Don't get me wrong. We were like, you know, I was hurt for 20 straight years. I was always <laughs> hurt. Yes. The only time I wasn't hurt is when I got hurt and I went home for four months. And then I was like, whoa, man, I feel good. And then I went back to work and was hurt again. that's true man it's true i never dude i remember picking up adam edge from his first like uh man he got hurt on one of his injuries and as i'm driving up he his hair was like just blowing in the wind he had sunglasses and i go my god that's what a champion looks like like he looked like a rock star and i was just like that's the embodiment of the guy and then two days into the trip he and i was like how do you feel like dude i feel great i'm a little nervous i haven't wrestled in so long and then two days into the trip where you know we're we're driving through the night i look at him and his face is all sucking in (laughs) and he's like when he gets tired he like starts turning into a zombie i was like oh it only took you two days and he's like i feel like shit (laughs) (laughs) i can imagine him saying that you know, I was the other day I was talking to uh, some friends and they're talking about I, I think they just f- sometimes forget that, I, you know, I was a wrestler and uh, they're saying something about being hurt. Like, oh, yeah, I was hurt. My back was hurting me from this. And I was, what happened? Well, I was lifting this, this couch. I'm like, OK, let me show you how I hurt my back. And I showed them this video from WCW where I was doing a, uh, a super I was on Perry, Perry Saturn's shoulders. And we I just like saw a, it. And we were doing super. I literally watched this this week. And and he didn't bump back, and he he paused, and I went straight down. He went, dude, my back was screwed for, I'd say three months. Three months, I couldn't even sleep on my back. I had to sleep on my side. I never missed a match because I was young. (laughs) I was young, and I I healed. But um, yeah, I mean, that was. I literally just watched that. Somebody posted it on uh, social media. And I was first looking and I'm like, who the hell is that guy, that poor guy in the middle? And then like <laughs> you look at all the comments and so it was like, poor Chavo. I was like, holy cow, that was Chavo. Yep. Yeah, that 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 was that move was one of my biggest fears. And whenever we do Tower of Dooms, I would always tell guys, you have to go, you have to go. Well, that was one thing that I learned, like, don't ever take a Tower of Doom with Perry San underneath you again. That's how you learn. <laughs> Yeah, and you learn like okay, okay, that will never happen again. Sorry, love you, Perry, but uh, I'll never get on your shoulders again. <laughs> now you're one of the ECW originals. Yep. Now, how did ECW come about? Because you guys, some of the stuff you guys did, people think ECW, you know, it was you know, hardcore and all this stuff, but some of the storylines you did were, were had never been done before. Like just some of the stuff with. Like you and Sandman, how you started, and you guys started blurring the lines of babyface and heels in a sense, and just stuff how you made it make sense. Like it was really, really good. If I go back and see it, it's like, wow, this just some of these ideas, like it was really, really good. Really yeah. good, really cutting edge. Early, I know you're early ECW dude was very much all Paul Heyman. And I mean, like you think about some of the things he did, like what what put the show on the map, I mean, and his vision, his vision he had early ECW was this underutilized guy who had a little bit of name recognition but had a chip on his shoulder. That was Shane Douglas. He had this world-renowned wrestling veteran that could still go in the ring and Terry Funk. And then he had this one guy who has never 
been seen before in the business in Sabu. And then he had this like white hoodie rappers named Public Enemy. And that was his core guys. But he would bring in a lot of like names. I remember like early ECW shows, dude, were like Don Morocco, Tito Santana, Jimmy Snuka. It was like an indie with a lot of big names to draw the people. But Paul was building his foundation. And then he had these unknown guys named Taz, Tommy Dreamer, um, the Sandman, like these homegrown talents. And that's early. The business, and Paul was very, very visionary. I will put him over for that. Um, the yeah, business sure. back then, Paul, what Paul is Paul. We all know that but yeah. he was, he was in genius. He was a genius. I would say, you know, borderline genius of wrestling. Like he was, he had so much like the stuff that he did. He was lacking in other departments. <laughs> we'll leave that alone. Love you again, Paul. But still he, uh, he's so, just so cutting edge, bro. I just, my hat's off to him. And, to and like guys. how you said, how I remember things it's because mm-hmm. of wrestling he was like an idiot savant with some things. Like I'll be like, Oh, Bruno San Martino beat buddy Rogers in uh, 48 seconds with the backbreaker at Madison square garden. He'll tell me the date. And like, he remembers everything. Or even like when we were doing now ECW steamrolling, he'll tell me like what date we did this. And I'll be like, how the frig do you remember that stuff? Um, But anyway, with, you know, Paul and remember the business, this is in the early nineties. The business was kind of, dead and it was all garnered towards kids yep and then paul was just like i'm bringing wrestling kind of how it was violence and i mean the business was never like you know you look at mid-south a lot of stuff we did was was borrowed from territory wrestling which no longer kind of existed and like you know it was new again yeah bloody feuds all that stuff but yeah like the, what, what put me on the map was getting caned by the Sandman. And that was a real life story uh, back in, there was a guy in Singapore who was going to get a U.S. citizen who was going to get caned in Singapore for a crime. And the world was, it was on the front page of the USA today of how could we let a U.S. citizen have this? And Paul's like, Hey, I'm going to do a loser gets caned match and it's going to be you. And I was like, okay. And it was like real passion of the Christ shit, which helped turn my career around. But then it was just, you know, Sandman wasn't getting over, but he was loud and funny in the back. And I'll never forget me, Paul and Taz are sitting there and Sandman has his pants down getting changed. And he's like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And Paul and Taz goes, this is what should be on TV. And Paul goes, you're right. And then he tells him, get sweatpants. You're going to drink and smoke to the ring. And oh, it was just like, boom. That for him. Yeah, man. Dude, that, <laughs> how old was Sandman? Exactly. And for me, like, he was trying to get me over. And Taz was like, listen, this kid, and you, you know, you said it before, I had a good body, but the fans like weren't into me because I was the prototypical 90s baby face, right. you know, clapping hands, uh, clapping my hands, slapping high fives. This is Philadelphia where, you know, this hardcore town and, but Taz was like, this kid is tough. Trust me, I like Taz was like a big Steiner mark and doing all these crazy suplexes. He's like, bro, I've dropped him on his head and he always gets up. Mm. And he's like, I can't hurt him. I've tried. <laughs> and then 
Paul comes up with that. And then Terry Funk tells me, you're, you're very good looking, grow a goatee because it'll make you look tougher. And they's like, and then when you're my age, it'll hide your double chin, which he was a genius. Cause now like I need a full bone beard to hide all my chins. So <laughs> dude, that's, that's, that's awesome. I remember when I first, when I'd already seen you, you know, of ECW and stuff, but when you guys did that first invasion of WWF right. at the time, I was in WCW kind of just starting out probably my first year in and we were watching and, uh, it, you know, because it's kind of like, what's going on here? It's work, shoot, still, the lines were still a little blurred a little bit. Mm -hmm. You came in and you stood out. I remember watching. And I was going, I, I don't know that. I know Tommy, like know of him, but I don't know him. But he, he I believe him. I believe when you were like, you were a tough guy. I believe right. like, you were like, just, I don't hit me. Hit me. I remember you sticking your chin out and pointing at your chin to Vince or whoever it was. And you're going, hit me, hit me. They wouldn't. I was like, like, all right, I believe this guy. I believe it. Yeah. And dude, and, and you talk about that day. We, you know, years later, we find out Paul was in cahoots with Vince the whole time. But back then, like we had legit snipers, meaning we had the eliminators. We had the boys scattered out because of that locker room. Egg, we're going to have a real brawl on television. And my thing was, I don't work here. Right. And Paul is telling me the only this is like, again, like you said, a work shoot. We did not know me and Raven are talking. He's like, they got to know they're getting you tickets. And then Paul tells me the only people who know are me and Vince. And this is what we're doing. And he's like, be prepared to fight. So I'm like, okay. And I joked with Jerry Briscoe all the time when Jerry Briscoe comes out and he's like trying to work. And he's like, you motherfucker, just jump this guard. I'll kick your fucking ass. And I'm just like, come on, Jerry. Right. And yeah. I would have gotten into a real fight with him with Jerry, yeah. over a work. <laughs> but like he was so mad because Vince just tells him, like, look what these guys are doing. And then years later, I find out like there was boys in the back that are just like begging to go out there and fight. Even Bradshaw and Dutch didn't know. The only guy who knew was Savio Vega because that was the match in Philly. Yeah. And Vince told Savio, hey, go towards and something's going to happen. And then all we knew was when you see Savio gets in your face, spit beer at him. That's all we knew. And then the rest is go at it. Wow. But don't like, and like you said, that was, we were prepared for a real fight. I think that's why it was so good. It was so organic because it was real. Yeah. It was real. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. If Jerry would have swung at me, I would have had to fight Jerry Briscoe. And I didn't, you know, I'm, I know Jerry and... But I'm just be like, I'd have to fight this for real. We had real security, like throwing us. It was, we really also got tickets at will call. Really? Like we didn't just like yeah. walk in and security bros. We walked in as we're walking through the halls, people like, and then they were all chanting ECW. And I'm right. like, and they're like, go get Tommy. I was like, and like, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, we're going to, you know, stir up some shit. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. What's your, your first, the first time you met Paulie? <laughs> Um, my first time I met Paul Heyman, uh, 
we had a lot of mutual friends, dude. I seriously grew up less than four miles from Paul. I oh, knew wow. him from Paul E. Dangerously. Mm-hmm. And whenever, you know, I'm com- I'm coming up, he's, he's from Scarsdale, New York. I'm Yonkers, New York. They're literally the next, the two connecting towns. My gym was in Scarsdale. So mutual friends like, oh, you're the wrestler. Do you know this guy? You know how it goes. Sure. And uh, a mutual friend of ours tells uh, hey, Paul wants to uh, meet you. We set up and we met at this place in Central Avenue that's no longer there called Nathan's, Nathan's Hot Dogs. Sure. And as soon as I get out of the car with my 8x10 and my VCR tape to give to Paul because he may be starting something new, <laughs> I don't even know him. And he goes, you look like a cop. And I was like, I'm not. He goes, are you sure you're not a cop? I mean, you look like a police officer. And I'm like, are we doing something illegal that I don't know about? And he's like, hi, Paul Heyman. Nice to meet you. And I was like, hi, Tom Lachlan. Nice to meet you. That's a great imitation. And then we go, we have food and he's like, no problem. Uh, you know, I'll keep you in mind. And then Taz got booked because me and Taz would travel all over on the Indies and Taz got booked to wrestle Sabu at the first ever November to remember. Cause they had some at the time revolutionary matches with, you know, there was nothing like early Sabu, man. He was so ahead of his times. And like, I think about commonplace of pro wrestling where we pull out a table, like that wasn't around then. And Sabu invented all that, you know, and just his moves and how he would sell. He was so unique and all the scars. And uh, so I was booked and Taz like, yo, you should come to this show. And, you know, there's a lot of big names. You could get noticed. And I was like, I called Paul, just got his answer machine. He didn't call me back. Uh, called him a second time, maybe a week later. And then Taz like, bro, you're driving me because I used to drive Taz around. <laughs> and then <laughs> I call up Paul and Paul picks up his phone. And I was like, hi, I speak to uh, Paul Heyman. He's like, who's talking, who's calling. I said, this is a uh, Tom Lachlan, Tommy dreamer. And he was like, I was like, Hey Paul, what's going on? Cause Paul picked up and he's like, this isn't Paul. This is his best friend, Doug. And I go <laughs> like, okay. Oh and <laughs> I'm like, uh, I tell it's you. I just met with you. Paul. <laughs> I, I yeah. Voices. Like I was like, Paul, I was with you like f- three weeks ago. And he's like, I am not Paul. I am his best friend, Doug. <laughs> And it's kind of like how I guess our relationship took from a long time. And I was just like, okay, Doug, can you tell Paul that I'm going to be driving Taz and I'll be at the arena with my gear. If he needs me to be there, if he needs me, I just want to sell if it's okay, if I can come. And he was like, I know Paul, would say, it's okay that you come, but I will tell him. I go, okay, Paul, I'll see you later. He goes, my name is Doug. And I was just like, (laughs) and then I remember calling Taz and I was like, dude, this guy's effing with me. And, you know, he's just frigging. And he's like, well, I don't know him. And he's like, but you're driving me. So I drive, I go down there. My first ever match, I wrestled under a mask against Public Enemy. And then uh, the next night I wrestled Taz. And again, pure genius of Paul. I wrestled Taz. We had a really, really good match because we used to train together. We wrestled all over, you know, Northeast Indies. And I took a a Northern Light suplex off the top rope as the finish. And 
at the end of the match, four people gave me a standing ovation and I leave. So two days later, my phone rings. It's Paul Heyman. And he's like, can you come to the studio? I want to show you something. I'm like, okay. I drive down to Pennsylvania and he makes me watch my match with Taz. And then he shows me those four people and he goes, I can do something with you. And he goes, you made four people believe. And I was like, okay, cool. And like, I thought this ECW thing literally was just like an indie. If they ran every six weeks, it was something. Sure. And then I watched, he sends me the TV show that he edited. All the heels were going over that night. And they show the main event, Taz versus Tommy Dreamer. It's on the WWE Network. And Taz wins. And he's Joey's recapping the entire show. Shane Douglas, like, there's all this carnage in ECW. And then he goes, wait, 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 go back, go back to the arena. And you see me getting out of the ring and the four people are, are giving me a standing ovation. And he goes, look at this, look at this hardcore bloodthirsty town that has thrown snowballs at Santa Claus. They're giving this pretty boy, Tommy Dreamer, a standing ovation because maybe there's hope for ECW after all. And they went off the air. Wow. And then right. It was almost like a, a premonition of, I believe in this guy and he did. And like, you know, you know, this business, if somebody believes in you, you, you're going to get an opportunity. You could be, they believe in you, but you just don't answer that call. And then it was off and running. And I became like, you know, the heart and soul of ECW, all that other stuff. Until that guy that believes in you is not there anymore. Then the next guy comes in and you're fired. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. I've seen it. That's awesome, man. That's a great story. Why Tommy Dreamer? Uh, my first match, October 28th, 1989. I actually was a big Sting and Great Muda mark besides Dusty Rhodes mark. Of course. And I was so good looking. I wanted to also be known as Tommy Acid. And I wanted to blow acid in your eyes. Also, there was a techno song. And I know you know this song called This Is Acid. And... It's just this stupid, repetitive beat. And I wanted right. to come out to that with techno lights. I had it all envisioned. Meanwhile, it's my first match. Yeah, yeah. And I'm already, I got face paint. And my Johnny Rod says, oh, right, what, what's your name? Because he's going to give it to the ring announcer. And I go, oh, I'm going to be Tommy Acid and I'm going to paint my face. And he looks at me and he calls me, uh, if I say this correctly, Webbo, which uh, is a curse or like balls, I think it means. Huevos, huevos, yeah, like balls, yeah. like yeah. like like eggs, maybe. Well, <laughs> testicles. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Huevo head, which I oh, thought yeah, it meant okay. like dickhead. Yeah. Um, so he then goes, "That's a stupid name. You're too good looking to paint your face. You're not gonna blow acid. You got ten minutes to come up with a name, or you're gonna go out there as Tommy Dickhead." <laughs> oh, because that's what he said, Tommy Webbo head. And or you'd be Tommy Dickhead. And I was like, I don't want to be Tommy Dickhead. And then I was just like, Tommy, it's always been my dream to be a professional wrestler, but mainly the American dream. Dusty Rhodes was my hero. And I was just like my real name, Tommy Dreamer. Done. That's crazy. Like even just that, the impact that Dusty Rhodes had on this business Mm-hmm. And so many different wrestlers. I mean, he helped me out tremendously just, just, just on promos and just, just the psychology, different things like that. The way he would just get you to think about wrestling. Like, Babeth, 
no, that's not what we'll do, baby. And it was so great the way he did it. Uh, it's so like just just a this well, he just you know his birthday, his anniversary of his death or his birthday had just passed, and uh, uh, so many people have still reached out and put stuff on social media and talking Absolutely. about how much they helped him. That was cool. Really well, cool. I mean, you look at NXT, how many people he helped right. cultivate. And then, you know, you look at what Dustin and, and Cody do in AEW and, and Cody's an amazing baby face and Dustin's right. still going strong. Right. Uh, for me, man, every time his dude, I, his death affected me harder than my own father's death. And I saw my dad take his last breath. My dad was my hero. He was the perfect father. Um, but he wasn't my, like, I don't want to say he wasn't my hero, but Dusty Rhodes couldn't sure. die. Dusty Rhodes was just like this super tough guy who would always, and I remember to the point where like Beulah McGillicuddy, my wife, she was just like, uh, do you want to go talk to somebody? Because I would like cry and, or I would just watch his matches and it was just, it really messed me up. And I mean, you and I both have experienced so much death in our lives, but there's always just those few that just crush you. Yeah. And his, his was one. And then I also, I never knew this until Cody told me and like, we'll always do like the five. Um, Dusty said to Cody that there was five people in this business that he considered his real true friends. And I was one of them. Wow. And Cody told me that at his funeral. And when he told me that, man, like I was even like more messed up because I never knew that. Right. And it, like, that's why I still wear polka dots on my pants all the time. So people never forget him. And if, right. you know, people say whatever they want to say, but like, that's why I do it. Just because I don't work, want people to forget him. You worked with him in uh, ECW. Yeah, ECW. And then you also work with him in the office in, in WWE. I worked with him in the office and also like in WWE when he was the ECW, uh, he was the ECW writer. I'll tell you what, man, when he came to uh, WWE, like two, like two, two straight up marquee kids, Paul taps on my office door and he's like, Dusty's in the building. Let's go see him. And we both come around and we sneak and he looks like, what the hell? Who let you guys in here? And like, I could go to my hero, my friend, he literally had the office across the hall from me and I could literally sit and talk to him whenever I wanted. I, that was, you know, I did not like my office position in WWE, but those were some of the perks because I got to hang out with him. And I also got to, like you said, sit under that tree and yeah. just listen. And uh, man, it was, those are some great times. I used to love when they would come back from TV because that I would just try to hang out with him. And then Johnny would always find me in there. He's like, can you do your damn job? You want to just want to hang out with dusty. I don't want to hang out with you. <laughs> so now ECW is uh, um, getting purchased, it's going downhill a little bit, getting purchased by uh, WWE and uh, WWF at the time. All of us from WCW got purchased and now we're over there. And next thing you know, there's another invasion and you guys come over. Right. How was that to actually coming in and uh, being part of uh, the competition? But, you know, hey, can't be the competition. It's like you went to the, the big leagues now. Yeah. Um, 
because you didn't listen, go to man, WCW, there was, WCW, there was, I never saw you in WCW. You weren't there, right? No. Okay. I had turned down three different offers to go there. Okay. Uh, all because of Paul. Mm-hmm. And if I listen, man, I've said this a long time ago, but like there was one point I had a, a $750,000 offer to go. Mm-hmm. And Paul literally cried to me. And he was just like, if you go, this company will go out of business because I was doing so much. And then like the other kicker was all your friends won't have jobs. And I was just like, (laughs) but Paul, (laughs) Sandman left, Raven left. Like, why can't I leave and come back? He's like, it won't be the same, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't regret not leaving, though that money would have been nice. But I outlasted everybody. And still, I guess, earning in the, in the industry. Um, but when ECW like went out of business, I was still there when Paul was in WWE. Like I went down with the ship and Paul was still lying. And like, I paid for like the last four shows, like out of my own pocket. So there was a lot of like issues there. And then, I was unemployed for seven months. Mm. Now the Paul kept saying, they're going to hire you. They're going to hire you. But you know, I'm now noticing Paul has a bit of a a truth telling problem. And then the WCW angle failed with Booker T versus buff. Right. And I remember Paul calling me and be like, they just shit the bed. It's now time. They're going to bring you in. And we got to, you're going to help save this angle. And I'm like, sure, Paul, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then lo and behold, uh, JR's secretary, JR calls me, JR's secretary calls me, arrange all our travel. And me and Rob show up. And Rob didn't even know I was going to be there. And we had to go and save the day because that invasion angle had shit the bed. And that was a great night because that's how I kind of, I've had a lot of different closures in my life for ECW, but we were in WCW territory in Atlanta and it was the business never saw that coming with me and Rob. And then when we joined with all the WCW guys and I was just like, this is what I did weekly. But I was like, if, if ECW would have taken over like that building chanting ECW and that we getting them one more time, I was like, this is how it was supposed to be. And it was a cool moment. Uh, one of the first, no, I, I had heard stories about you that they're saying, you know, Tommy, you dare him. He'll eat anything. Yeah, I'll do anything. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> like he'll eat anything. So we're in the ring for <laughs> Kurt Angle. Remember when, when, so yep. Kurt Angle joins the Alliance. Bur- bur- backstory for all the, all the listeners. Uh, Steve Austin had come and sprayed the, you know, months earlier, sprayed the, be- the ring with beer and did all that kind of stuff. Well, Kurt Angle's doing the whole milk gimmick and he's doing like, you know, milk does body good. And, you know, he's all, you know, natural and stuff. And he comes in and sprays. We're all in the ring, all the Alliance, we're all in the ring. And he's spraying the, uh, the ring with, with milk and just throwing cookies at us. And he's winging them, dude. He's winging these uh, milk cartons at us. And he's going, we're all in the ring, doused with milk. And we're stepping all over these cookies in there. And there's people falling all over the place. And I look at Tommy and they go, Hey, uh, I dare you to eat that, that that cookie off of my shoe. <laughs> and you reached right down, picked up and ate it. 
And I'm like, oh, I like this dude. <laughs> That's kind of how we totally bonded off of that. <laughs> I, I like, remember oh, Hurricane man. and Hurricane looks. He's like, you nasty bastard. And he's about <laughs> to throw up as we're still getting sprayed. And then Chuck Palumbo's like, what the hell's going on here? He's like, oh, that's so gross. But meanwhile, we're still selling all the milk. Because we're still getting all milk spray, yeah, sprayed in our face. And oh, man, that was, a, that was a funny one. I talk about that stuff because, again, uh, that aired on television. You can't see that that's happening. And then another time when Kurt Angle joins the Alliance, mm. I had a Dorito and we're in the locker room and we're all supposed to be uh, celebrating this big moment and you know when they're like we're going live live and like and they start giving me this big countdown and i had told everyone once i got color with a dorito and as <laughs> kurt angle enters the room we're all supposed to be like exciting and as soon as kurt angle walks into the room i go <laughs> and i start gushing blood and all the boys are popping and it made the segment like so much funnier, but that airs on television. And then they, they're like clear. And then they all look like, why are you bleeding? And like everyone's hysterical <laughs> laughing why that happened. And that aired on WWE television. A lot Once, of people. No one, not many people can say that. Like that's like in your Instagram profile. Once I got color from a Dorito. <laughs> I did it twice. So did Mikey. I learned it from Mikey Whipwreck though. Really? Mikey. He's not doing too good. Unfortunately. Is he? Oh, it's yeah, too man. bad. He was a good guy. When he came in, he came into uh, WCW just for a little bit. Yeah. He he's had a lot guy. of uh, medical issues due to, he announced he's not doing any more signings. He's had a lot of medical issues because of concussions. I feel bad. Oh, man. Are you kidding? Now, we've talked about that too, about concussions and talking about how many times have we got hit in the head or they say like every time you get a concussion, you know, or anytime you see stars, you know, that's, that's right. like a slight concussion. Well, how many times that happened? Like every night? Every single night, we see some stars, right? But that's I, you guys were insane with those chairs, man. Like yeah, I was the pretty un good unprotected chair shots to the yeah, head. Yeah. Like ECW, I would go to guys, break Bubba, break that steel chair over my head, and right. we wouldn't put our hands up because you put your hands up, you were a pussy. Meanwhile, right. Right. we were idiots going back. But right. Right. I think I know for a fact I had uh, three concussions in a week. Um, I had one Friday, had one Saturday, and then went back and got another one the following Saturday. And then in a, like, this is also, again, we don't know the ramifications of this. I remember everyone talking to me. It was after my match. I was like, I just need air. I just need air. And then back in ECW, they used to put almost like a maxi pad on your head and then put like this fishnet thing to hold it to your head. So you'd stop bleeding. Mm. And I remember waking up is what it feel felt like. And I was in a Wawa right by the airport. And I had two killer quick shakes already on the floor. And I had one in my hand and I was drinking it. And the girl who worked there knew me. And she's like, Tommy, are you okay? You've been in an accident. And I, I just woke up like somebody woke me up from a dream. Right, right. And I was still in my gear and all this. And I was like, no, I was gone for four hours. I got in my car and drove around Philadelphia, no clue where I was in life. And wow. then, but my instinct said, after every show, we go back to this Wawa by the Marriott airport. And then my fat instinct said, I needed killer quick shakes and I needed three stat. <laughs> and, but like, that's was one of those like, whoa, maybe there is 
but this is like 96 ish, 97. Yeah. It was uh that's scary. And you, you know, you see some people and it, it's, it's very, very scary because of like your longevity of life and like your quality of life. Right. Cause I mean, me, you, I didn't think I, I don't want to say make it to 50, but 50 when you're in your twenties sounds like it's so long. So long. Yeah. I'm not fifties. You know, you're, you're an old person. You're, you know, right. you have no life as opposed to no man. 50 is 50 is awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I still feel like I'm 18. Yeah. Yeah. There was, I, I had that kind of same, similar experience, but mine was like a whole week. I lot, I kind of forget a whole, whole week. I don't remember yeah. that time. Uh, Billy Kidman. Thanks Billy. Did that uh, shooting star press on my face. Oh, well, your arms <laughs> went straight up in the air <laughs> Yeah, you remember that? and your arms locked straight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that was that uh, was scary, man. Yeah, I remember that. that. Yeah, we were all freaking time. out, and we still bad. knew nothing about concussions then. I know, right? That's crazy. And we were just like, "Well, we're fine." And if you didn't work, you were considered a pussy. Right, right. I dude, I was out. Dude, I, I lost a whole week. I don't even remember. I think I didn't come back for four months. Um, I think four months, three months, or four. I think I got cleared in three months, and finally came back in four months. Like they, they gave me an extra month or something. But even like the doctors, like when I would go to like a specialist, they were like, um, you got your okay, bell rung. Yeah. I'm not sure what to, what to do. And they're like, yeah. well, how do you feel? I'm like, well, uh, I don't know how to write. <laughs> and they're like, well, uh, that'll come back. All this yeah. It was different, man. It was weird. But anyways, I heard that you were the first guy to ever kick out of a super fly Jimmy Snuka frog. Correct. Superfly the one and only. That is crazy. And that's, first of all, I can't believe that he didn't prostitute that move like that and nobody kicked out of it. That's pretty impressive and hats off to him. But I heard that you were like, you, he gave it to you and you, you kicked out. Yeah. That come part because no one ever did. I was not, uh, again, Paul Heyman and being revolutionary in his thinking uh, was no one has ever done this. And I want to do it. And he paid Jimmy extra. And I had known Jimmy just from little indies. And as you know, very respectful. And Paul gave him, I think, about an extra G. He's like, okay, brother. And he goes, we're going to make it real. And I remember, and I wasn't over yet. I wasn't over at all. And when that, that was like the first building block. That was before me and Sandman. But when that happened and I kicked out, he looked around like, and like, I remember like, and then some fans knew like what a shoot was. And he just looked at me and he was like, you fucked up. And he stiffed me twice. Yeah. And then he gave me three more uh, superfly splashes and pinned me. So he wow. still got the victory. Wow. But yeah. he, and then we had a blow off match in a cage, which was awesome because he was one of my uh, idols, as well as me, Mick Foley, Bully Ray, and Guido were all at the match at the garden where he dove off the cage. So it's like, oh, you cool were little... there. I was going to ask yeah. you because I know Rick, Mick Foley. I just saw that thing on AE on Mick. Yep. And he, there's a picture and he's back there. That's so crazy. was Bubba and so was little Guido. Wow. And uh, like he was super duper cool with me. And uh, that was an impressive thing. I also kicked out of, that was like how Paul was thinking, like, first, let me get this guy over. Uh, I kicked out of Bob Orton's superplex. I was kicking out of everybody's finish because back then nobody did that. Right. And Paul would keep that stuff. Again, Paul, listen, we all, you know, Paul loved the, and you were part of it. Like the, the partners, like with you and Eddie, 
you were a different type of, you know, tag team together, that whole lie, cheat and steal. Mm -hmm. I know he was a big uh, fan of, but like he would like come up with different stuff or like partners that don't get along. That was like his go-to, but Paul, he didn't invent it, but he brought it back. The three-way match Mm. that was never really around where three dudes wrestled each other. And it was Terry Funk, Sabu and Shane Douglas. They went to a one hour Broadway and the fans want chanted for more. Um, Paul invented the choke slam. Yeah. He was like, I always wanted to have a guy grab a guy up by the throat and he had this guy who was strong enough and nine one one. And he was just like, like he always envisioned it. Like, well, you just grab a guy, you start squeezing him as hard as you can. You pick him up and you throw him down. Cause he mm. saw it happen. Mm. And he was like, this is the one move you're going to do. And he got it over, but just thinking right. of different stuff uh, like ECW, we did the first ever pregnancy angle in wrestling. We did the first ever LGBTQT, however I was supposed to say that really? correctly. The first girl-on-girl girl kiss. We did that in ECW. We got thrown off of every network, but we did right. that in ECW. Wow. That's crazy. And then now it's like everywhere. That's crazy. Dude, I, I wish there was a fax that came to the office and we got thrown off of every network because they said we implied lesbianism from a head of a network. And I was like, I wish I had that now. I would own that network. You implied lesbianism because they did kiss but we never showed it we saw we freeze framed it you heard the people react and then the next week i picked them up and i made out with both of them i said i was hardcore i'll take them both and (laughs) that was it and then like you they threw us off every network and paul was like i never showed them kiss and then they were like yes you did and paul literally like where are they kissing paul was so smart he saved that you had to buy the vcr tape Mm. for that Right. And he freezed it right at the moment. Then when they went, the show went off the air, you heard everyone chanting ECW, blah, blah, blah. So then it was like, you can't, I'm going to sue you because you can't, you're telling me you're throwing me off because I did this and I didn't do this. And they're like, oh, you implied lesbianism. And I was just like, it's just two girls making out. And, but now, now it's I like wish I had that. I it's wish like I had a, that. It's like an AT&T commercials now, like AT&T or some other commercial I was watching the other day and they had, I don't even know what the commercial was about because I just remember these two guys were in bed together and I was kind of like, oh, wow, like that's pretty good. That's all right. You know, I was yeah. kind of like, like, cool, like good for but them. But like you know? when Ellen did that first kiss, you remember that's she almost right. got kicked off, kissed, kicked off of the network. Yeah. Well, she was different canceled. times, man. When she came out as being gay. She, she was canceled. Yeah. Big That's time. Crazy. Yeah, such different times, man. That's insane. Dude, we could talk all day long. Absolutely. So easy. I can do a part two then. Yeah, for sure. That'd be <laughs> so easy. But hey, man, one thing that we I do on Suplex and Cervasis is that we do like a rapid fire thing at the end, nope. like rapid fire questions. And uh, there's no right or wrong answer. Just asking you questions for your fans to get to know you a little bit more. Are you down? Yes. Okay, cool. Something that I always ask wrestlers, uh, are you a Cracker Barrel or Waffle House fan? If you couldn't tell by my physique, I'm hardcore. I take them both. Right. Uh, I'm more of an IHOP guy. IHOP. Okay, cool. Now, people are listening. When we were on the road, there were certain staples that wrestlers would always go to. If we could find a Cracker Barrel for breakfast, we'd we'd eat that. But they closed early. Waffle House stayed open late. So, you know, sometimes 1.30 in the morning, we're able to get a Waffle House. And we're like, oh, like, holy grail. Like, thank God there's food. Because if anybody doesn't know, we are on the road 
constantly all the time and you get out of the time you get out of a show and you try to drive there's just nothing open you're eating at if you can find a wawa great but you're eating at just a gas station or you're drinking a protein shake yeah uh were you a hulk hogan or rick flair fan hulk hogan on babyface bro babyface and also uh, rick flair fought dusty duh hated yeah, that's him true. that's true that's true uh were you a uh randy macho man savage or ricky steamboat fan Ooh, that's, that's a tough a good one. That, one. That one always stumps people because it's like, God, they were that right that era where they were that match, you know, WrestleMania three. Savage, savage. Ooh, nice. Classic cars or new cars? I've had every car I've ever wanted to own except the 1978 Trans Am. It's my dream car. Smoking Somebody bandage. give it to me who's listening to uh, this podcast. I, I'm not a car guy anymore. Uh, I mean, again, I've had Lexus, Mercedes. Um, I've just, I'm, when my, my, I was told I was having, uh, twins, I was going to get a BMW convertible two door. And then I was told I was having twins and then my love for cars left. <laughs> <laughs> well, your love of money left because they, yes. they, they take it off. <laughs> awesome. Uh, are you a blondes, brunettes or redhead guy? I'm hardcore. I'll take all of them. All at once. Easy, Magic Johnson. <laughs> uh, Tyson or Ali? Tyson. Tyson. Steak or pizza? Oh, my God. What would you do? Steak or pizza? I know you. some, some people are like... I'm out. from New York. We have the best pizza. I don't want to hear anybody uh, talk to me about that. I'll go pizza. I can't believe pizza. it. I love steak. <laughs> Do you notice a lot of these are geared to food? <laughs> Dude, you're killing me on these questions here. Can I just say I'm hardcore? I'll take them both for everything. It's easy. It's either wrestling or food with you because I'm like, that's that you know, like that's all we really know about about <laughs> you know, Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts. I basically do whatever my Dunkin' Donuts app tells me to do. Um, but if we're talking donuts. It's Krispy Kreme when the light is on. Thank you for Hurricane for introducing me to Krispy Kreme. But coffee is Dunkin'. How many donuts have you eaten at one sitting? From exit three in Philadelphia, where there used to be a Dunkin' Donuts leaving the ECW arena, me, Taz, and Paul Heyman all bought two dozen donuts apiece. I'm sorry, we bought a dozen donuts and this new thing called a breakfast sandwich came out and I ate from exit three to exit 16, which is probably about an hour drive, about three, four o'clock in the morning. I ate 24 donuts and uh, six breakfast sandwiches. This is why I love you. <laughs> this is why I love you. Not because you're great in the ring or you're great mind in the business. I love you because you have eaten a lot of, of stuff. I'm a glutton. And all because it's the proverbial, and you know me, um, I bet you can't eat this. And Taz, like, Taz ate, it was like, hey, let's all buy a dozen donuts. And then Paul could only eat six. I could eat 12. Taz could only eat six. And then I ate two of those. So that's how I got my 24. <laughs> and we all got two breakfast sandwiches or three breakfast sandwiches because they just came out with the breakfast sandwich. And right. I got all three. And then I ate the rest of theirs. So I had 
that. I think I can only eat about three donuts. I think that just it just <sighs> sugars me out. About three and Never. like, like uh, even Krispy Kremes are so much lighter, you know. Like, but sometimes like three, I'm like, oh my god, give me an insulin shot right now. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. I eat when I've eaten uh, 20 ounces of peanut butter in one sitting. I've eaten two. I did an Oreo uh, contest at one of my House of Hardcore shows for charity, and I ate. Uh, I think it was 60 Oreos in 10 minutes. Have you ever done the gallon of milk challenge? Did you ever try it? Uh, I did try people, it. People say you can't keep it up. Keep, can't you, keep it up. Uh, you, you physically can't, um, but I have drank a gallon of milk, no problem, but not like chug it. Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I, I didn't know anything about your music taste. Were you like a rock and roll guy or were you a new wave guy? I grew up a uh, Guido and so that's all house music but then once i met taz he made me listen to led zeppelin in oh. my own car where i couldn't <laughs> not listen to anything that and the jerky boys and then my oh, music taste changed the jerky boys i love jerky boys when they came out dude they were off the charts yeah they were so good and andrew uh, dice clay on cassette oh, yeah. was another oh, one i saw him at the great western forum nice i saw him at the garden when he was his prime, sold out, right? Another guy. Oh, dude, he sold out the garden three nights in a row. That's insane. Another guy who couldn't survive in today's world. Oh, no, for sure, for sure. Uh, and last question. In-N-Out Burger or White Castle? You're an East oh. Coast guy, but you've been all over the place. So, White Castle, uh, the record is 42 in 15 minutes. Unbelievable. 42 cheeseburgers. I love White Castle. Most of these food places also follow me. So if anyone wants yeah. to know how fat I truly am, when a food chain follows you, you know, you've hit the Mecca. Uh, Bevmo follows me, which is the, you know, like the liquor store. <laughs> they follow me because <laughs> they know they're like, hey, this dude's in here all the time buying beer and tequila and stuff. Hey, Matt, so uh, where can anybody find you? I'm the Tommy Dreamer on Instagram and the Tommy Dreamer on Twitter. I'm more of a Twitter Instagrammer and I am the Tommy Dreamer on Facebook, but I don't really post every day. The Tommy Dreamer across the board. And what are you doing now? What do you want to talk about? You still doing House of Hardcore? Well, right now it's kind of weird because of the pandemic and stuff, but are you guys back yet? No, um, I don't know what I want to do. It's kind of weird. I've been working Impact uh, the entire time. Have you? Uh, nice. The entire time during the pandemic, I help out behind the scenes. I still work as a wrestler, a producer, help with some of the writing. And uh, just that and my show on SiriusXM is the number one show on SiriusXM. Me, Bubba, uh, Ray Dudley, and Mark Henry, which is quite crazy uh, because that with all the shows on SiriusXM, we're the number one show. But Howard Stern got all the money, so uh, I'm trying What's, to hold out what, for that. What is the name of the show? Busted Open. Busted Open. I've heard of that. Busted Open Radio. Is that it? Yeah. No. That's, well, us. That, that's you guys. How's that? Yeah, what man. the heck? How do I not know this? Well, you're busy you, and ho- you're a Hollywood guy. That shows you how much like I actually. You know, <laughs> I, I, but I was always out of the loop. I was always out of the loop when yes. like anything. Like even like when I would find out somebody's dating, and I'm like, how long have you guys been dating? They're like, oh, what, two years. I'm like, what? <laughs> What am I doing? I don't know. Tommy, it's been a pleasure, dude. You're a guy that uh, I respect. Uh, I look to you. You're a friend of mine, a guy that I uh, like the stuff you do in the ring and the back behind the ring and stuff with your family and everything, bro. I got to tell you, respect to you. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. And uh, it's been great shooting it up with you. Uh, 
not shooting up, but chopping it up. <laughs> uh, likewise. I, I love you. You're my friend. I felt weird calling you Chavo because I always, <laughs> whenever you first meet somebody, you introduce them, uh, your real name. Yeah, That's yeah, not your right. real name, but right. uh, listen, man, for the original ECW, we were the highest rated main event of all time uh, that a lot of people don't know about. For those three years, that company was involved, and that uh, meant oh, a w- lot to me. W- WWE? Yeah, man. We were the highest-rated main you event. I, the main event match, huh? Wow. After I lost earlier in the night to the entire roster, and then you, being an asshole, wanted to fight me after I lost. but And I lost again, but it was still the highest-rated, But I think uh, beat my which was like a 1-6, which really? is now touching raw numbers, so... That's wow. uh that's pretty good. You think about different times, but we always gelled in the ring. I knew when if I walked in somewhere and your shirt was open, I was gonna have a good time. And I always uh <laughs> I look forward to seeing you. It's still the truth. It's still the truth. It's not Russ, it's not a party until Chavo takes his shirt off. Absolutely. Again, brother, much respect, love you, man. And uh we'll shoot we'll see you around soon. I hope hopefully on one of the shows. You got it. Brother, thank you. Talk see to you. Get his pants on, not Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. 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 Yeah.